I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Cookbook Circle podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Victoria. And we've set out to review the UK's most popular cookbooks, those that you probably have at home and haven't opened in a while. We take one cookbook each episode to cook from and to stress test, digging out their best recipes, bringing them to life again, and hopefully inspiring you to do so too. Hello. Hi. Welcome back to the cookbook circle. Thank you. I've been here all along. (laughs) What's the news? What's the haps? What have you been feeling and not feeling in the world of cookbooks this, this week? Well... Do you follow Rocket and Squash on Instagram? Yes. Yeah, for the longest time, I actually didn't know his name. Yeah, I don't know what his name is, I don't think. It's Ed Smith. And he always posts the most beautiful food photos. Mm. Just really, really gorgeous stuff. And it just seems like he's one of those people who just whips up beautiful working from home lunches or, you know, just uses whatever's in season and whatever he has like in the back of his store covered. And it turns out to be really amazing and Instagrammable. But he's bringing out a book in May, which is called Crave. And it looks really, really good. Apparently, it addresses six flavor profiles, which I'm intrigued to learn more about. It's kind of to help you avoid meal planning boredom and repetition and to just kind of address eating to your mood and to your appetite. So it looks really good. I'm really excited about that one. I love that. And I learned from him that you can roast a squash whole. So I'll be forever grateful. Oh, that's the guy. Yeah. I remember that revelation. It does. It has changed my life, actually, because I really, really hate prepping a squash. And this way you just bung it in there, scoop out the seeds when it's roasted and then Bob's your uncle. Mother's brother. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. We are excited for that. But that is not the book that we are speaking about in detail. Yes, we have a new book. So in case you've forgotten, we created this absolutely giant master list, as we are calling it, of all the books that feature in all of the lists of best cookbooks of all time. And each episode, we take one of those books and figure out if it should be there, basically. Mm -hmm. And this episode's book is 
Simon Hawkinson. Rose Chicken and Other Stories. Which is an interesting book that you and I had not heard of, which I think we mentioned at the end of last episode. We did. We mentioned that it was a, a little bit retro looking. I mean, my copy in particular looks like if I had gone into clip art and skewered a lemon onto a two-pronged fork. You have the, the paperback book. I do. And I managed to get the hardback that has um, a lovely author picture on the front of Simon himself. What's he doing in that picture? Is he just sitting at a desk? He's sitting at a table. I don't think it's a desk. Uh, drinking a glass of red wine. Yeah. He's wearing an apron though. So he, he's either been or going to cook. Yeah. You'd like to think he's had a hard day in the kitchen cooking up some, you know, brains, liver, sweetbreads, all those things. And then just <laughs> come down for his delicious, refreshing glass of red wine. It's very awful heavy. You're right. Awfully <laughs> heavy. <laughs> What's alarming is that we both made that joke at the exact same time. But shall I tell you a little bit about Simon Hopkinson? Yes, because I know nothing. Or as he's known in the biz, Hoppy. Oh, like a good beer. Yeah, or, you know, related to Skippy. <laughs> maybe maybe my rabbit friends. <laughs> you sorrel delivering rabbit friends. So this book was published in 1994 by Simon Hopkinson, who is hailed as the food writer's food writer, apparently, which I think mm. we'll have to discuss because our initial impressions have been of surprise generally. Anyway, he left school at 17 to begin a career in the kitchen of Yves Champot, who was apparently quite a fiery little chef. What I have gleaned from all of my background research, extensive background research, is that this is all the base story for the best movie of all time what ratatouille no well i mean clearly not but there are many similarities so he used to work in this kitchen of you shampoo who was apparently really mean and small which like that mean little dude in ratatouille the rat (laughs) no the rat was great one of the signature dishes was these pancakes filled with asparagus and ham and like after midnight when Hopkinson had done a long shift in the restaurant he would slip a couple of these pancakes into his pocket along with a lemon because he swore they didn't keep overnight and then back in the staff flat he'd eat the pancakes but not before whipping up a little hollandaise at home you know 1am the man couldn't bear to eat the pancakes without hollandaise that he just made after of course a restaurant shift, and it made me think of that guy from Ratatouille. But also, there's this stuff in here about everyone can cook. You know, like Chef Gusto vibes. Anyway, I just watched that film way too many times. I love it very much, and I look for it everywhere in everyday life. Back to Simon Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> this is your life imitates art moment. Yeah, I was going to say shout out to Remy for changing the game. Love Remy. He's my type, I think, Remy, actually. But anyway, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast about being in love with animated characters. Fellas, get in touch if you've got rat like features. <laughs> Remy's not the rat. Oh, Remy is the rat. <laughs> I'm, thinking of the, I'm thinking of the guy that he controls. Wow, we were definitely having different conversations there. <laughs> How do you feel about Stuart Little? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got me. I love cartoon rodents. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. 
I think that Simon Hopkinson is the first like proper chefy chef that we've looked at because obviously Nigella prides herself on being a home cook and then Ashalengi had his whole academia background and Simon Hopkinson is one of those real old school French style chefs that started at like school age and is really obviously classically trained and that kind of shows out throughout the book as well in terms of how many classic dishes appear. But back to his background, he opened a restaurant called Hilaire, I presume I've ruined that pronunciation, in London in 83. And then that led to the opening of Bebendum in 87, which I think were both quite hip happening French restaurants at the time on the London scene. Mm. And then he left the restaurant business in 1995 to concentrate on writing cookery books. But this one was in 94. So I guess this was the transformative one that made him decide that he wanted to concentrate on this full time. This book was declared the most useful cookbook of all time in 2005 by Waitrose Food Illustrated. He's had a TV series called The Good Cook and he won the OFM Lifetime Achievement Award in 2018 as well as some other awards like the Glenfiddich Award three times. He's had a couple of books called Gammon and Spinach. They're the one book that's not two separate books. (laughs) And the prawn cocktail years. That's interesting. He's obviously a guy for titles on his books because Roast Chicken and Other Stories is is an interesting one. And Nigella, I read an article in The Guardian where she was writing about him and this book saying that this is the best title of a cookbook of all time. Wow. High praise. It's funny that you say about Nigella because there were elements of this that reminded me of how to eat in its kind of encyclopedic nature. And the stories with a lot of the recipes, there's not many pictures. There's just kind of illustrations of the ingredients, which are sometimes a bit obscure. And yeah, it's it's his take on different ingredients. I really like actually the way that it, it's set up. So each section chapter is a, is a different ingredient that he obviously loves and he writes this lovely prose introduction to it and then there's a few recipes it's useful if you're like right i've got two aubergines which happened to me and then there's the more kind of obscure ingredients like asparagus because in one review of it i read that he uses exotic ingredients like asparagus (laughs) so i think for the time asparagus was not used as much i guess or it was a a high-end ingredient in general the ingredients and we'll come back to that are quite accessible mostly apart from a tom yum cube that I couldn't find from my suit but uh, apart from that I thought it was quite easy to navigate what would you say your favorite chapter or ingredient was oh I like the chocolate chapter mostly because I really agree with him so in his introduction to the chocolate bit he talks about how British chocolate is the best in the world and I will get on that train all day <laughs> I'll be honest, I did really enjoy the aubergine chapter. After me being annoyed at Ottolenghi last time for having too many aubergines, I thought the the range that Simon Hopkinson put in aubergines was very, very good. How about you? Obviously, I'm tempted by the brains chapter here. And the tripe chapter. Or the tripe chapter. I mean, really, with the brains chapter, when it talks about the gratin of brains with sorrel, your favourite ingredient. Or, you know, in the prologue when he talks about their creamy texture and melting consistency. That was a close second, but um, (laughs) I would have to say 
the tomatoes, just because similarly, I like what he says about that in that we eat them out of season all the time in the UK and Ireland and they don't taste like anything. I hate it. Yeah, just just why why do we do that? And he kind of questions the seasonality of our eating. I think he actually uses the word ignorant in that. He's got some strong opinions, old Hoppy. Yeah, um, it's on, of the, the lists we looked at, right? It was on six different lists, which it was one of the most mentioned books that we found. So yeah. I think that, that made me interrogate it a bit more than than maybe another book that we've done just because I wanted to figure it out. I wanted to figure out what was so good about it. Yeah, absolutely. One gripe. Tripe. One gripe. Tripe. <laughs> the, the little caveat about all recipes serve for is really hidden in the prologue and I'd not see it until yes. right before we started talking about this. So I was reading all the recipes thinking yeah but how many people is it for this can't just be throwing around vague instructions there is some ambiguity in some of the sentences for example i cooked the roast chicken the last sentence of the roast chicken recipe is this for me the simple roast bird is best but it is useful to know how much further you can go when roasting a chicken and i read that maybe 20 times and I'm still not sure whether he's whether he's saying that you can't go any further in roasting a, a chicken. Like a roast chicken is it and it's great and it's perfect, which I agree. Or is he saying there's more to go? You can do more with it. I don't know. Anyway. You have mentioned a couple of the things that you cooked. So something aubergine related and roast chicken. The titular roast chicken. No. So yeah, I did... The roast chicken, which I shall talk about first because there's not really much to say in that it is a roast chicken. I thought I should do it because it's the title of the book. And so I wanted to see if he had done something spectacular with a roast chicken. And I agree with him and with so many other people that a roast chicken is great. And I don't think there's much you can do to improve on it. Once you know how you like it cooked and you've got it right there's not much greater joy. But I thought, you know what, let's go. We'll follow his recipe. We'll see if it's is a game changer. And it's not. You get a big chicken, you roast it in a roasting tin covered in butter, like loads of butter. There's that French influence. <laughs> yeah, loads of butter. You squeeze a lemon all over it. Um, put the lemon in the chicken's butt with uh, some tarragon and some garlic, salt and pepper, and it goes into the oven for a bit on quite a high temperature. Then after 15 minutes, you turn it down and it just roasts. And it was great. We're not a big fan of roast dinners in a house. So we had it as sandwiches, nice. which was great. But I'm not going to change to this immediately and tell all my friends about how to cook this roast chicken. What he does talk about in the in the recipe is that you can wet roast this chicken, which is by cooking it <laughs> in some kind of liquid. He talks about wine and chicken stock. So there's a follow up book to this called uh, Roast Chicken and Other Stories, Second Helpings. Oh. And I also bought that book when I bought the first one. And he he runs with that, the wet roasting in that when he does a, a roast chicken. My cat loved it and when we turned our back for about four seconds uh all we saw was her running off the table with a chicken wing in her mouth oh my god (laughs) yeah so we let her keep it and she she chomped down on that (laughs) samosa is a fan of simon hopkinson yeah so that was that 
Absolutely Sandra's chicken. Another thing I did was the leek tart. Oh, I wanted to make this one. Yeah, I love leeks. Me too. Also, a reason I wanted to do it is because I saw that my local shop had these like monster leeks. Ooh. <laughs> and I'm very excited to put the photo of this on Instagram because they really were massive. And I was like, we, I have to get them. But so much cream. 450 mils of cream and I think we've talked about it being French inspired so you expect a lot of dairy but it's a tale of abundance the thought of it makes me feel a bit ill but I did it for the pod (laughs) but there's cream everywhere in this yes that is the the nice reason that I'm going to say for uh the reason I didn't make the pastry the real reason is that I'm just lazy and making pastry doesn't bring me any joy. <laughs> and the payoff for me isn't there Yeah, uh, for making the pastry. So I did buy a pastry case and I'll take the judgment from the pastry chef on that. There's no judgment here. Absolutely not. Life is very short. And if you don't like doing that, you should absolutely do it. And I've done it a million times and they still shrink the fuckers. So it's just... <laughs> it's a frustrating exercise sometimes so I feel you by the case yeah for a case so it's loads and loads of my monster leeks you just sweat them down you add the cream some egg yolks um so rich and just so you're supposed to put some tarragon in it and I did put tarragon in it but I also added mustard because I was really worried about it just being just too creamy and and not very nice so I did add mustard so sorry about that Simon and then you just put it in the oven and it was great I was really really surprised and then quickly to the aubergine yeah dish which was my way of exploring some of the more exotic flavors of the thing because I was worried that I'd done two dishes that were very bland yeah and literally the only kind of seasoning in both of them is tarragon he loves tarragon it's Simon Hopkinson's riff on a miso aubergine style thing so the Japanese kind of nasu dengaku I think it's called casually drop that in there guys tell you i lived in japan (laughs) yeah so it's it's that but it's got no miso in it it's a paste a sauce of peanut butter garlic ginger soy sauce it's supposed to be tabasco i just used a sriracha because i feel like tabasco is not the right flavor profile for that it was the only hot sauce around back then wasn't it really that's that's what i thought reading it and um i was going to come on here today and say that i'd followed the recipe to the letter because i really wanted to figure out what this recipe was about but yeah thinking about it i didn't actually do that (laughs) so sorry but yeah i know i know i switched the i basically i switched the hot sauce out and then you're supposed to add uh ginger syrup oh which i'd never heard of so didn't have any so i just added extra fresh ginger which was already in the recipe oh and sesame oil is the other thing so it's called aubergine with sesame i think and you make a sauce out of all those ingredients and we talked about abundance but this sauce for the original recipe there is a hundred milliliters of soy sauce and five tablespoons of sesame oil uh, and 350 grams of peanut butter so yeah 
It's huge. And it's supposed to be for two aubergines. So I halved it and it was still too much for two aubergines. So you roast the aubergines separately. You cut them in half, roast them with just a tiny little bit of oil until they're quite soft. And then you put this sauce on the top and grill them off. And the sauce, because it's kind of peanut butter based, goes all kind of bubbly, but not crispy. Yeah, and exactly. It looks exactly like a miso aubergine. And it tasted good. It did. Those flavors all together are lovely. Yeah. You kind of sprinkle some sesame seeds on top. I ate it with some rice. The flavors are good, but as I said, the the flavor profile is just off. It's too salty. Yeah. And if I put double the amount on, it would have been unbearable as instructed. It just too much soy, too much sesame oil. That it's so sesame oil is so pungent. Yeah. But the building blocks are there. <laughs> like the, the the good flavors are there. So it's made me think that if I were to do that again, because it is really easy to kind of whip up the sauce and then grill the aubergines. It made me think that if I were to do that kind of thing again, some miso, some peanut butter, some sesame oil, maybe a bit of sake or mirin, like that would taste incredible. Like, yeah. And I'd never thought that to like mix those two things, but yeah, I liked it, but it was just a bit too much of everything. Maybe it's just like he shouldn't dabble or at that time he shouldn't have been dabbling in that area. Yeah, I, th- I you know, nice try. <laughs> <laughs> nice try, Hoppy. But better luck next book. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure that he would accept that as criticism. <laughs> Probably now, especially because mm. we're, what, 20 years later and our understanding of Asian cuisine and ingredients has come a long way. But back then that might have, you know, blown blown people's minds. Someone write in and tell us if you could even find sesame oil in 1995. Like, I struggle to find it now. <laughs> That's why I was, you know, so a bit taken aback. I was like, oh, it's a lot of oil, a lot of sesame oil. And that's my bottle isn't that big. <laughs> so that's me. What did you cook, Hannah, my friend? I cooked a couple of things. The first one, I feel like it shouldn't really count Okay, for a few reasons. The first being that I forgot to take a photo. And we all know <laughs> oh, gosh. if someone doesn't take a photo of something, it didn't exist. We should start recording right now. <laughs> Secondly, I think I fucked it up a bit. Oh. I was drinking wine. And <laughs> well, we know that is Simon Hopkins would be a fan of that. I come from like the Keith Floyd school of cookery where you just pour yourself another glass and, and keep going. To caveat all of this, I should say that I've banged on about being a vegetarian many times. Yeah. I, I made us put it in the rating system and I'm a bit shit because I still eat fish occasionally like for Simon Hopkinson just just do anything for Hoppy (laughs) so what you're saying is we need to change the rating to pescatarian friendly yeah that's exactly (laughs) what I'm saying I made fish and chips essentially so there's the deep fried cod and his perfect chip recipe and you make the batter and the batter was just so thin oh that I think I must have messed it up and it's possibly because of alcohol but it's just like you know how you expect a batter to be like a 
it actually has to coat the fish, right? It, it's, it would have just dripped off if we had gone with it the way it was. So we ended up adding a lot more flour to it. And it's a very simple batter. It's plain flour, some beer and egg yolk, because, you know, just got to wedge in that dairy where possible, oil, milk, seasoning. And we fried it and we ate it and it was fine. It was, it was, it was a totally fine, you know, home fish yeah the chips were actually really good he has this bit in his recipe about how the best way to make chips at home is to fry them twice so you fry them at a slightly lower temperature first then you take them out drain them and then you put them back in for a second batch at a higher temperature to crisp them up and get them all delicious and they were actually really really good because they were that kind of crispy on the outside soft on the inside thing are they fat chips or fries we went for fat chips yeah he doesn't specify. I think he says to cut them to your liking. And I am a chubby chip type of person. Uh, I don't like a skinny fry. Don't like McDonald's fries. And wow, I'm sorry, but I'm I'm, I'm speechless. But really? uh, I guess the chip episode is a uh, put that on the list. I'm a fry girl, as they as they call me. <laughs> <laughs> do they do they um no i like chunky chips so they were great i would recommend it was a very beige meal so yeah i mean if you're in that kind of mood great and don't drink before you make your batter kids two times fried chips is very heston blumenthal-esque no that's him right heston is triple fried chips he quote unquote invented them so i guess what i'm saying is simon hopkinson maybe should be more famous than hessen blumenthal which i would take and now bloody hell you can't go to a pub in london without seeing a triple cooked chip on the menu can no, you no you cannot i'm not complaining but i don't believe they're all triple cooked i think they're they're blagging yeah also i um i went to an exhibition at the vna a couple of years ago it was about food and there was a cheese made from Heston Blumenthal's bacteria from his pubic hair. <gasps> no. Was it pubic hair? It might have been snot. Either way, <gasps> so that's in the world. Oh, my God. If I had to see it, you guys did as well. That is horrendous. I'll find a picture. Put the picture on Instagram, the people need mm. to see. We'll put like a, a warning before. Did it look really <laughs> gross? Yeah, so there was like, there was a few different cheeses made from a few different celebrities' body cultures. No. But that uh, that sticks with me. Unsurprisingly. Yeah, and you're already not, you know, we've talked about this, you're not the biggest cheese fan. Well, that, that was it. I was before that, clearly. <laughs> the last straw. <laughs> the last cheese straw. <laughs> Better be. I'm shoehorning them in today, lads. <laughs> right, what else did you cook? Sorry, I digress. A couple more things. These bits were more simple. So I adore anything on toast. Toast would be my death row meal. I love it very much. So when I saw the cream tomatoes on toast, obviously I couldn't resist. It's a nice recipe. You infuse cream with garlic and you reduce it down and then you slice your tomatoes. I used these little tomatoes because like I said he waxes lyrical at the beginning about how we shouldn't use that for seasoned tomatoes so I got the ones that look nicest and you just basically smother them in this cream sauce and you put it in the oven until they get all blistered on top and the cream reduces down you season it you tear up some basil or mint I did basil and you put that in the cream and then you toast or grill some bread you drizzle a little olive oil in there because you really need yeah more fat and then you put the cream and tomatoes on top and it's really delicious it sounds incredible like it doesn't feel like 
a root one roast chicken recipe it, it sounds special yeah it's it's special in its simplicity and just how great it tastes and i would definitely recommend that everyone does it but i did have slight palpitations after <laughs> the last thing that i cooked was earlier this fine day actually it was a uh, coriander and coconut soup yes this is on my short list as well really are you a full coriander convert now maybe a lot like old hoppy who says in his in his little prologue to the coriander section that he came to coriander as an adult and i was like me too literally Aww. like two weeks ago he says that he just munches it raw doesn't he yeah that's disgusting <laughs> so this is a thai inspired soup he recommends that you use a tom yum cube which i mentioned earlier that i couldn't find i went ahead and did without because he said that's okay but you make a kind of a broth with chili ginger spring onions garlic all in stock hmm and lemongrass and you let that simmer for about half an hour and then this was what was difficult in the recipe it's kind of vague because it says strain and blend with the coriander stalks but it doesn't mention if you have to discard those ingredients um, yeah which felt a bit wasteful if you had to do that i guess they've been boiled for half an hour so they didn't have much color left after consulting many people including you i decided that straining them was the way to go a couple of little guys kind of snuck back into the pan and i was like Shh, it's okay you guys can go <laughs> and you blitz it all up with the coriander stalk and then you add in lime juice fish sauce coconut milk and you strain it again this is his kind of chefy vibe you're like straining things mm. all the time everything has to be smooth yeah um no lumps for simon and then you add in loads of coriander leaves and some cream at the end <laughs> of course so the coconut milk is not enough no, what's really interesting here is that he says light coconut milk, oh. but then you use double cream. So presumably it all balances out in the creamy, milky world. Actually, I thought that when you lost all of those kind of chunky bits that you would lose all the flavour, but the, the broth itself was really yummy. And then obviously when you add in the coriander and the coconut milk and cream and all those things and blitz it all together, it's really actually quite delicious. Yeah, it sounds amazing. That's actually a really good one. I, I haven't made a Thai kind of soup like that before, so I would definitely make that again. Was there anything in here that you would like to make or did anything catch your eye? Or are, you, are you just done with this here? You seem like you're done with this. No, 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 no. Like I said, I'm a lot more impressed with it than I thought I would be. But I don't have a long list of things that I wish to cook. The thing that you just mentioned, actually both of your things, the tomato and the soup, I would definitely try and i wanted to kind of you know honorable mention for the i don't know if you saw it and i almost made it but then i chickened out oh. excuse the pun <laughs> uh it's the the eggs in gravy yes i read this honestly i'm sure anyone listening now has just like wanted to throw up a little bit in their mouth and i did you did throw up in your mouth is that what no. you think <laughs> yeah. Quite a strong physical reaction. Hefton's really ruined you. <laughs> yeah, and but I was, you know, morbidly intrigued by it, but I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. So it's it's a whole bottle of Beaujolais. Beef stock, herbs, butter, of course, bacon, mushroom. So it's it's like a stew. And then you pour it over poached eggs. It's like an inverted British shakshuka. Yes! Well, you say British, but it has a French name. That's true. 
but yeah, that was the the one thing that I am, like I said, morbidly intrigued by. But I don't know if I will ever make it. How about you? Again, not a huge list. But the tarts. There are many tarts in this book, and many which I would like to try. There's the your leek tart, pepper tart, the chocolate tart. There's an anchovy and onion tart that I thought also sounded great. Oh my god, yes, anchovies. Also in the chocolate section, there was a milk chocolate malt ice cream, which I thought sounded really nice. Just love anything malty. But apart from that, I think I'm good. I I don't know. I, I feel like it's still a useful cookbook to have on your shelf. But if you if you think like, oh, I'm gonna have people around on Saturday, you know, imagine imagine a world where that's possible. Yeah. And you think I'm, I want to make like the best of a classic dish. Chances are it's going to be in here. And yeah. he has a solid recipe for it. Yeah. And it's all fairly simple. And I feel like for beginners even, or if you're just trying to learn how to cook some of these, you know, classic recipes, it is really good for that. And it, like, yeah, like you said, a good reference book. Yeah. Particularly for things like, the, yeah, the tarts where, you know, if you, don't want to make the pastry because I thought that and I don't know how you felt about that the how to make the pastry bit of the recipes I weren't as detailed as they could have been yeah for such a, a thing that can go wrong so easily which also put me off a little bit yeah I think I think in general that's my critique is that the detail isn't there and I think that can often be the case with the chefy chef mm. is that they presume a certain level of knowledge or you know practice in the kitchen so it's this weird kind of contrast between being an encyclopedia but but also not being hugely detailed in the exact actions and techniques Shall we give it a rating? I'm intrigued to hear your rating this time. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. So in case you don't remember, we give each book our cookbook circle rating out of five. This is based on the usability of the book, the accessibility of the book, the ingredients and how easy they are to find, the aesthetics, how it looks. And my token criteria that I've thrown in is the veggie friendliness of this book. And for each chef, we like to make that rating customised to them. So for Ottolenghi, we had obscure ingredients, furled hops. We're going with a rating out of five calf brains because he seems to love them. So, so Vic, how many calf brains would you give Roast Chicken and Other Stories? I am giving Hoppy three calf brains out of five. And here is my rationale. It's very usable. The accessibility, as we talked about, is good. There's some kind of stuff that's a bit obscure, like brains and tripe. And I think, you know, there's there's a lot of different fish in there cod hake anchovy so not great if you don't like fish the aesthetics has no pictures and as we know that's important to baby victoria so (laughs) it has these lovely illustrations but the illustrations are not of the dishes so that counts against it so you kind of have to imagine what it might look like are you saying that in the garlic chapter where they have a bulb of garlic at the top of the eiffel tower that wasn't that wasn't useful to you <laughs> no that was that was the one that was that's why i've given it half a point for aesthetic <laughs> and then for veggie friendly it is and it isn't right it's it's yeah. in no way vegan friendly i don't know if we've mentioned but there's a lot of dairy <laughs> in this there's a lot of beige food and dairy but it is not missing the veggie element so the the aubergine thing that i cooked for example was vegan yeah my biggest issue with it in terms of 
whether I pull it off the shelf is that I just, it didn't inspire me. I didn't feel like, oh, I'm really excited to make all this stuff. That's that. I think three out of five brains for me, Hannah. I think I am going to agree with you. I struggled a little bit with rating it because I just thought I was being a bit harsh. Full points for accessibility and ingredients used because more often than not, everything is very easy to do, easy to follow, and, and you can find the ingredients everywhere. The usability I've knocked points off for because, as we've said, the recipes aren't that detailed and there's confusing lines in there sometimes. Anesthetics and veggie friendliness I've also knocked off points for. Aesthetics, just because I think my, my book is just so ugly and I just couldn't I couldn't even let it be printed to be honest I just I'll I'll put it on Instagram but good lord it's grim (laughs) and the veggie friendliness I just I I would never willingly buy a book that had a chapter on you know as much awful as here and and I I get that that's some people's thing but it's just not mine so I am also going to give it three out of five brains I feel (laughs) I feel grateful fucking hell uh yeah I feel I feel very glad that we did this book because yeah. it's nice to to kind of go at something blind with no preconceptions of the book or the chef or the recipes. Yeah, absolutely. And and to move out of our comfort zone, because probably if we were in a bookshop, we wouldn't have picked this up necessarily. Yeah. But because it appeared so high on the list, we've given it a go and probably, yeah, just tried something different, which is, which is nice to do. So do you think it is worthy of no less than six of the best cookbooks ever lists that we looked at? I am going to say of its time yes but if this book came out now not necessarily like it's just the cookbook scene has just moved Mm. on so much from here in terms of emphasis on vegetables and lots of different ingredients and cuisine and everything so I, I, I almost feel like it's not fair to answer that question in this era but I imagine at the time again it was a great point of reference yeah I agree I would like somebody to change our mind about it I would be interested in hearing those people's views who do think it's a classic and do think that it it changed the game or it it is really really special because I've tried really hard and I I can't get that from it yeah Anyway, shall we talk about which book we will be discussing next? Yes, I'm excited. I'm excited too, actually. I have not tried this person's recipes, any of his recipes before, so it should be interesting. Do you want to tell? Yeah, so the next book we're going to do is Momofuku by David Chang. Who makes the best facial expressions (laughs) when he's eating food? in the world I absolutely (laughs) love it he just like gets right in there and his like his whole face screws up and it's weirdly adorable actually (laughs) that's the name of this week's band um so this will be our first American chef which is exciting and also TBC but I think it's mostly Asian inspired food so have you watched Ugly Delicious on Netflix all of it Yes, it is my one of my favourite Netflix shows. Yeah. It's so good. I loved it too, which is why I'm excited to see, having only seen him on TV, how it kind of translates to the page. It's going to be, in, yeah, I have mixed feelings about David Chang. Oh, okay. Hold that thought. We'll hear it in the next one. Okay, well, that's it. Thank you for listening. Bye. 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 Thanks so much for 
much for listening to this episode of the cookbook circle don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and if you've enjoyed it please leave us a review as it helps others to find us you can see how the recipes from this episode turned out on our instagram at cookbook circle and if you make anything from the books we talk about please don't forget to tag us see you next time Bye. bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.